0: All right, welcome in. Cube Show podcast, volume three. Excited to be with you guys again and uh, another just amazing weekend of college football. Um, really nationally and in the SEC, but as you know, right here, we focus in on the Southeastern Conference. We run through the games, the film that I was able to get through, blast through uh, the games that I was able to watch a little bit on Saturday. Uh, did not see quite as much live this week, had the family down in Auburn. And, uh, had all three kids, my wife, we went down, obviously my crew was working the game against Texas A and M. We'll get into that. We'll get into sort of what we did, uh, being around, seeing some of the things, talking to some of the people. It was pretty cool being down there. It was very special. Um, but we have a little bit of shakeup nationally, uh, obviously with a couple of teams going down, TCU gets over Texas. Of course, Oregon goes down to Washington, USC with a nice looking win, even though it was Colorado on Friday night. um, But the SEC, uh, outside of that Alabama Ole Miss game, pretty much stands pat. That was one that I think some people had some questions on. Other people thought that a few might go different ways, but let's get into it. Talk about it. You know what we do here. Uh, We run through the games. I don't tell you how popular we are. I don't tell you how many people listen. I don't tell you why my demos are great in certain areas. We just, we talk ball, X's and O's. Let's get right to it. Uh, I'll start there in Auburn. Right off the bat, Um, first off, it's cool for me, and and this is is just somewhat personal, so we'll get away from the usual stuff a little bit, but I do want to, I'm going to try to take you guys into where we were every weekend, each and every week here on the show. So, I don't get to take my family to Auburn games very much. And I'm not complaining. I'm not. It's not a gripe. It's not a moan. I love my job. I love what I do. I'm very fortunate to do what I do. I'm very fortunate to have an amazing crew, and that's Tom Jordan and everybody else behind the scenes. Whether it's uh, my producer Billy, uh, my director Brad, whether it's my cameraman Noah, like we, it is. It's an awesome crew, and we're very fortunate to be able to do what we do and to be able to call games and talk about sports on the radio. It's I'm 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 lucky. I'm fortunate. I love what I do. I haven't worked in probably seven years. But um, that's the one drawback. Is I have three children, seven, five, two. I don't get to just take them to an Auburn game whenever I feel like it. So, being able to have them there, seeing what it was like on Friday when we got to town, um, being able to meet with the coaches right there before they had reverse Tiger Walk, seeing all the people that were there, the energy that was just around the entire city uh, was pretty cool. And then Saturday we get up. And you can feel it again. Things are just flowing, tailgating early, people walking around. It was crowded. I I can always get a feel of what a stadium is going to be like in an SEC town uh, Friday during the day and Friday evening. Um, We went to the basketball game Friday night. Not the best performance by Bruce's group, but they found a way to get a win. That USF team, they got a couple transfers, some older kids, so made it a little bit more challenging. Didn't shoot well, but hey, they got the W. Kids enjoyed the basketball game. We dropped them off with the babysitter. Wife and I went to dinner at Acre. David Bancroft took great care of us. It was amazing. Chicken fried bacon, of course. Um, Went with fish for dinner. It was excellent. Some of the other appetizers just out of this world. And you will not go wrong if you go to Acre. Um, Anything that Dave is affiliated with, you will not go wrong. I know Tom enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. My wife enjoyed it. The crew enjoyed it. It was fantastic. So glad that we got to do that. Um, went down to the conference center, had breakfast Saturday morning, had our production meeting, and we get back to our room and we're kind of sitting around watching some TV, doing some different things. Uh, I took two of the kids to Mama Goldberg's for lunch. If you've never been, you have to get the nachos. Mamas love no mayo for me is always the way that I go. Um, but then uh, we were all supposed to leave at about I think we were all gonna leave at about 4:10, 415. And at three thirty, I just told my wife. I said, "I'm, I'm, I'm going. I'm going to leave." I was just, I was getting anxious. I was getting a little antsy. And she's like, "Why?" And I said, "I'm just, I'm going to walk over. I was, I'm going to see. I want to feel this. I want to know what it's all about and know what it's like." And I'm really glad I did because. First off, again, I haven't been able to just walk through. The last Auburn game we did at home was Kentucky in 2020. That was the opener. And that was a COVID game. So Tom and Jordan weren't even there. And then before that, I believe it was 2018 was the last Auburn game that we did. So I think three in like four years. So I just wanted to walk through campus, man. I wanted to see the tailgating. I want to see the people, what was going on, get the vibe. And it was crowded. People were excited. Uh, There was an energy. You could feel it. I tweeted right before I went in the stadium that how I just walked through and it felt like it was something extra and then we got in the stadium and it was pretty cool i, I got in i got situated uh over by my table where we always kind of camp out and i have somebody down the field with me and damian craig comes walking around and of course he sees me we we come up and we're talking for a little while and um he looks up after we're talking for 15 20 minutes and he's like man the student section already full i was like yeah I said, D, this crowd's going to be loud tonight. And he goes, you think? And I said, no, I know. And it was cool to catch up with Damian, um, one of my favorites. Guy does a great job and one of the all-time greats to play at Auburn. So seeing him back in the stadium was uh, was obviously really cool. And then uh, Tom and Jordan get there a little bit later. Um, had a chance to catch up with John Cohen on the field for a little while. And we're all talking. And Jordan kind of looks up at the crowd. He goes, man, that 82nd clock hadn't even started counting down. And this place is filling up. I was like, I'm telling you, I think it's going to be a really good crowd. I think it's going to be cool tonight. And man, it was the student section was off the hook. Um, it was packed for the majority of the game, and I think the upper deck started leaving a little bit late because I think even myself, most people underestimated the weather. It was a little bit cooler than I think we thought by the end of the game. The wind had a lot to do with that, and I think the wind affected the game. I think the wind affected Connor Wigman in that game. Uh, it affected some A&M punts because they were going to the north end zone multiple times, and you saw those punts just die. and just kind of got up and then went straight down, subtracted 10, 15 yards, maybe more on a couple of A&M punts. But I think the team fed off that energy and talking to Will Friend, talking to Carnell, talking to Kendall Simmons before the game and some of our meetings and just on the field, they talked about what they had added to the run game. I asked if misdirection would be a big part of it. It was pretty cool. I said, I'm going to let you ask Will about that on the field. So I asked Will and he just kind of gave me a wink. Like you see what I see. So yeah, we're going to try it. You saw a lot of the jet motion, a lot of the different things side to side, trying to force some eye violations by that A&M defense. The A&M linebackers fly to the line of scrimmage, like they fly up to the line of scrimmage. So that misdirection, I think, did them some harm because once you come up, you. Very difficult to redirect. You get caught in all the traffic. Um, That defensive line also is out of position often. They're a good, talented group. They play hard, but they just get out of position a large majority of the time. And I thought Auburn took advantage of that. You saw some of the more zone read stuff with Robbie Ashford, where he's able to boom, get north and south after he reads it. And uh, some of the different read plays that he had the option of. Not as much drop back game, which I liked. I thought Auburn dedicated themselves to heavier personnel, which gave them a big advantage. and. It worked out for them. They were able to sneak out a win. It wasn't clean football on either side. There was a couple of missed calls. There were some bad penalties. There were some big mistakes on both sides. But in the end, I really do think the difference was the personalities of those two teams. Auburn ran the ball well. a uh, and did not have Devon A-Chain. Uh, and then you got the whole thing with Moose Muhammad. I have no idea what the sleeves and what's going on. I asked Jimbo at halftime why we weren't seeing him. I said, do you want to kind of expand upon why we're not seeing him? He said, nope. And so I just, that was it. Don't know exactly. I saw his tweet where the arm sleeve suspended something for that. I have no idea exactly what it is, but I know they needed him uh, because, you know, you only had, then you got Evan Stewart and he, he can't get out there and do it by himself. Uh, You lose your tight end in that game. You're already down multiple guys and that A&M team is just razor thin from a depth perspective and they could not hold up on that offensive line. Uh, I thought Derek Hall did a great job. Uh, they lose Jeffrey Emba in the middle of that game, but Marcus Harris and a couple other defensive linemen were consistently getting to the quarterback. I thought Jeff Schmetting did a nice job of allowing his linebackers to attack downhill. Not so much let's read and react. Let's just go get this football team. So essentially what happened is on both sides of the ball, even though it didn't look like an overly aggressive game plan from Ike Hilliard and Will Friend, it kind of was because they attacked what they thought they could be successful with on offense. And then defensively, I thought Schmetting went right at that group. So don't allow that offensive line to get comfortable. Don't allow Wigman to get comfortable in the pocket. Like you saw Owen Papo in the backfield multiple times. So that's not him sitting back, reading and reacting. That's him just getting North and South, utilizing some of that physical ability to go attack people and disrupt and cause commotion. And it worked. And Auburn gets a massive win. The first win ever, for Carnell Williams as the head coach of the Auburn Tigers and to be there to interview him and to be there and just feel his emotion. And then to see Jason Campbell and Ronnie Brown and Danny Lindsey and Marcus McNeil, um, and Drod Powers. I mean, just all of these different lettermen that showed up because they wanted to support him and and wanted to be there for him. Mayo Sewell was there. It was just, it was really cool to see those guys. He came in the year after I did, so we didn't play together, but obviously we know one another. And To see all those guys come back for him, to want to be a part of it because of what he's doing, to see how the team reacted to him, it was beyond cool. And for me, to have my three children and my wife on the field before the game with my TV family, Jordan and Tom, and then to see what the Auburn family was able to do that day, it was unbelievable. And uh, I appreciate everything that everybody has said about that post-game interview. And all I'm going to say about it is this, that wasn't me. That was Carnell Williams. And that's his energy. That's his unique way of touching people. And that is that is just his infectious style and personality. That is that is what he is. And it is every single bit of just being genuine. And that's why that was what it was, because of him. So uh, I appreciate him allowing us to do the pregame interview. I appreciate um, the halftime interview and I appreciate just how, how candid he was post game because he got two Gatorade baths and got his first win as a head football coach. And that's pretty awesome. So, um, We'll see if they can keep that energy going into Western Kentucky and then obviously the Iron Bowl. Uh, So we'll move down now. One that a lot of people thought was going to be complicated, Georgia and Mississippi State. And I'll just be real with you. I didn't see it coming. I didn't think that it could be. I didn't think there was a way for State to really go win this game. Number one, Georgia's defense matches up well. And the Georgia front, Jalen Carter and company, they were able to get home with three and four. You do that against Mississippi State, you're probably going to win the game. It's just a reality. The other thing that Mississippi State did, they Tackled extremely well. You go back to Alabama against Mississippi state. They did it. If you're going to beat state, you have to go out there and tackle. I thought Jamon Dumas Johnson was solid. I thought Malachi Starks was solid. I thought Keely Ringo was solid. On that side of the ball, they handle their business. They attack the football, batted balls down. They tackled players in space. You get those one-on-ones. They'll check downs to the backs. You got to make those tackles. And then number two, you got to win up front. And Georgia won up front more times than not. And even though it didn't lead to a ton of sacks, it forced Will Rogers to move. He had to change some arm angles. And that just made him uncomfortable on the other side of the ball. Lad McConkey, big. Uh, the tight ends, big. Uh, got Bowers going a little bit early. I love to see that Washington gets involved early on. And that's what I thought was going to be a problem for state. Because if you went back to the Kentucky film, they didn't react well to big personnel, and multiple tight ends. Then the Auburn film, they get the run going. Big personnel, multiple tight ends. Georgia's got the best tight end room in America. Obviously, it was going to work. It did. And even though it, it wasn't a super clean game from the Georgia offensive line, it was enough. It was good enough. They weren't just turning guys loose. They weren't turning guys free. But they missed some combos and caught a couple blitzes late. They got picked on a few things. But with a, with a front that moves as much as states does, that's just going to happen. I mean, I think Stacy Searles, offensive line coach of Georgia, would tell you, listen, we know that's not going to be a perfect game. But they got good effort. They were knocking some guys around. And it was enough for them to find a way to get a win. Now, I'll say this. Um, quarterback still playing some some high risk football at times, trying to make some throws that are not there. And you go to the Florida game, this game, there's been a couple of games where there have been two, three, maybe four interceptions on the field that have not been capitalized upon. All I'm saying is keep an eye on that down the road. That will not be able to continue against elite level competition, because if somebody does end up making them pay You have to be very careful how that's going to play out. But I thought the effort from the Georgia defense was great. The effort up front, I thought the backs ran hard. Even though there wasn't always a ton of space, he still piled up 179 yards rushing. Georgia stays undefeated. They'll be the number one team in the nation. Uh, It was a strong performance from them. I did think Missouri-Tennessee could be a little bit complicated. I did think that that was one that could be a little bit tricky. And the main reason was that Missouri defensive line is one that gets after you and they cause problems. You saw them disrupt a little bit early, got some of that timing and rhythm off Tennessee rhythm based offense. They threw some of it off. Didn't get a bunch of first downs early. Couldn't get the tempo cranked up. But one thing Tennessee does They throw haymakers for four quarters. Missed a couple shot plays early. And I love when fans get all worked up and all upset when Hendon Hooker misses a deep throw or two early because outside of the Georgia game, every other game that I've seen him play in his career, you know what he does in the second half? You know what he does two, three series later? He starts hitting some of those deep balls. They are going to get their shot plays in. It's going to happen. And eventually they're going to capitalize on those. But the difference this year, as opposed to last year, is the creativity that Goalish and Heupel are utilizing to find matchups, whether it was all the formations into the boundary, into the Alabama game, whether it's hiding Jalen Hyatt in this game at that little H position where he slips out and goes uncovered, they're still finding unique ways to get a matchup and get the ball in the hands, of the players that they want the most. And it's working hooker added a little bit with his legs. I didn't think it was the best day by the offensive line, but it was enough to be able to get it going against a really good front. And defensively, Tennessee found ways to step up late because it looked like Missouri had a few things working. Some of the quarterback runs by Brady cook were problematic. And then they just found an answer for it and kind of shut it down. And once they realized there wasn't going to be a lot of true balance through the air, uh, I think that they made a few adjustments, and that was sort of the end of that. They put the hammer on them late. 21 in the second quarter, 21 in the third quarter, lights out O'Reilly. Tennessee gets the win, go to 9-1. and one. Impressive performance by the Vols. An early game Saturday that some other folks thought was going to be problematic was LSU and Arkansas. Now, I'll say this, going to Fayetteville is tough. Winning on the road in the SEC is tough in general, period. Going to Fayetteville is always weird. It was always odd for me. It, I've talked, McElroy's always told me that. Everybody who goes there has said there's just something odd about playing in Fayetteville. Well, this time they got to go out there and shovel frost and snow, and you got icicles coming off the goalpost. So you knew this one was going to be weird. Probably knew that the quarterbacks weren't going to get rolling. And then what do you know? KJ Jefferson doesn't go. We talked about his health last week. Was he healthy? Was he enough to really be able to get things going? And not having him, you weren't going to be able to find true balance. You just weren't. It wasn't going to be there for Arkansas. Um, You go with Malik Hornsby early, who, yes, he's dynamic as a runner. He's going to give you that threat, but no true balance through the passing game. Then Cade Fortin comes in. He's not going to give it to you in the run game the way that Hornsby or Jefferson are, either outside being a dynamic speedster or in between the tackles as a power runner. And it just wasn't there for the Arkansas offense, mainly because of a young man named Harold Perkins. And if you didn't know who Harold Perkins was before now, and you watched any of that football game, you know exactly who he is because he is essentially the Troy Paul model of the LSU defense. Matt house will line him up at a zero nose standing up and let him shoot a gaps. He'll put him out on the edge and let him rush the passer. He'll spy the quarterback like he did last week against Bryce young in Alabama. And as soon as he gets outside the tackle box, he'll attack and he'll be there about three, four sets before you think he actually should be there. This kid is dynamic. This kid has a knack for the football. Some of the pass rush things we saw from Harold Perkins in this game were way advanced the flexibility to be able to dip down almost all the way to like that elbow, almost all the way on the ground is not something that a lot of guys can do. First off, physically just can't do it. And then some of the handwork that he used, you know, the swat and the rip to be able to dip the shoulder, the angles that he understands how to take to utilize pass rush situations. This is a freshman and for him to be as advanced as he is in being able to see things, being able to take different responsibilities in different games and then being able to do different things that he's asked to do on the field from a skill set perspective, he's one of the best defense players in the SEC right now, today. There's no question. And I'll only imagine what he's going to be down the road. LSU gets Josh Williams and company going offensively. Wasn't a great day throwing the football. It was cold. It was windy. There was frost. You knew that was going to kind of slow it down. But LSU gets a big turnover late. Once again, Harold Perkins making a play. And I respect the fact that you go on the road in this league, an early kick, weather conditions, find a different way to win the game. LSU got it going on the ground when they had to. They got the ball back when they had to. They got stops when they had to. And they walked away from Fayetteville with a win. They clinched the SEC West, just like Georgia clinches the East. And that'll be our matchup in the SEC championship game. And we will have plenty of time to discuss that down the road. A nice win for buying Kelly's group because it didn't just all go according to plan and I love to see teams that adjust and I love to see teams that can do different things to go find a way to win Alabama at Ole Miss. Another one that a lot of people thought was scary. I love the plan from Lane Kiffin early. Good Lord. He gave you every possible eye violation that you could potentially find in the first two possessions of this game. I mean, it was motion at the snap motion before the snap. It was split zone. It was quarterback read with pullers going the opposite direction and a, and a jet sweep coming the other way. I mean, it was Jackson Dart on the move with his legs. It was different players lined up in different places. Tempo, anything you can think of that would have potentially forced an Alabama defensive player to visually take himself out of the play, you got it early on from Lane Kiffin. The one thing that didn't happen, though, and even though the run game did get going a little bit for Ole Miss, it's not like it was shut down. Judkins had 135 yards. You didn't see the multiple home run game from the Ole Miss backs. And how many times this year in almost every other game that we've seen have we gotten multiple 40, 60, 80-yard runs from those running backs, be it Evans or Judkins, and you didn't get it in this game? Give Alabama's defense credit for limiting the big plays On the ground. They came up and made tackles in space, and then see, people aren't going to talk about them, and you're not going to go nuts about them because they weren't three yards in the backfield. But there were multiple times when Brian Branch was one on one with a back or a receiver, and he came up and made a play for a four yard gain, or hell, even an eight yard gain, which if he misses that play is going to go for an 80 yard gain. toa toa made a couple of those plays. Helms made a couple of those plays. So even though they weren't splash, highlight reel, Sports Center top 10 plays, you had some Alabama defenders make big stops in space, not for a loss or not a big hit or not a wow moment, but to prevent home runs. So essentially you made old Miss hit singles to try to beat you and they couldn't do it. And that's a part of the Alabama defense that I saw this weekend that I have not seen a lot of people talking about. Um, The Ole Miss offensive line, I thought, held up okay. Dart was under pressure some. He just missed on some throws. Alabama had decent coverage on some throws. I thought he rushed a few things. But we knew Ole Miss wasn't going to win this game putting it in his hands. I mean, he's 18 of 31. uh, Probably not enough, but still They needed the home runs on the ground to find a way to win this game. And they needed to get the ball back from Bryce young. And I'll say this. I thought the Ole Miss defense did an excellent job getting to the quarterback. And even though again, didn't lead to a ton of sacks, they had three in the game, but they found a way to make him move. I thought Jared Ivy had a pretty good game. Kari Coleman had a nice game. They were in the backfield, forcing Bryce young to move around. Now, I thought Alabama tried to live on the perimeter a little bit too much early offensively. And Ole Miss had a couple of nice tackles out and out in the flat and some one-on-one tackles. Um, I thought this was a game where Alabama would go in and try to impose their will, try to run North and South and push this defense around because it's a lighter defense. It's not a heavy defense. It's not a heavy handed defense. That's not how they play. And Alabama couldn't do it. Now, later in the game, they were able to get a little bit of that going. It was kind of some must-have moments for the Alabama offense when they actually found a few things and busted a few runs and got some things going on the ground, whether it was McClellan or Gibbs. And I thought 52 and 55 were the reasons for that. Booker and EQR are up front, the two guards that were playing late. They actually got a push. They got a couple of knockdown blocks, and those were the ones that sort of helped spring some of those big runs. I thought Bryce Young worked the RPOs over the middle of the field extremely well. But I think Bryce would tell you right now that he missed some throws. He left some yards out on the field. He also left the pocket before pressure was there a few times. So you might get mad at that Alabama offensive line, but there are times in which I think Bryce has lost confidence and he's leaving on that group just a little bit early. Nonetheless, Alabama goes on the road, beats Lane Kiffin, who had two weeks to prepare, and they come back to Tuscaloosa to win, they get to 8-2. and So overall, I thought it was a fairly strong win for Alabama, even though they didn't get a ton going through the air, the offense wasn't necessarily explosive, but there were some must have moments late when they went out and found a way to get some things done. And those receivers just still aren't separating, man. They're just not, I don't know what to tell you, but the receivers are not finding ways to get open and make life easy on Bryce young. Cam Latu had a couple of catches. He looked pretty good on tape, but just it was a little bit of a weird game as it went on, but Alabama find a way to make the plays they need to make late. Ole Miss had the opportunity right there. Well, it was it the first and first and ten from the fifteen? Couldn't find a way to get it in. Uh, can't take a sack there. Have to understand that. And didn't think you needed the shots at the end zone when you got them. And Judkins probably need to touch the ball more there. That's how I saw that last drive. All right, um, I tell you a massive game that not a lot of you want me to spend a lot of time about, but it's pretty cool. Vanderbilt had lost, what, 26 straight SEC games. They had lost six straight to Kentucky, and they go get a win 24-21. Mike Wright has to go at quarterback A.J. Swan out. He has a big day on the ground, a couple of big runs. Contain was a little bit of an issue for Brad Smith's defense out on the edge. He busted a couple of big ones there. And I don't know what they worked or how much the plan went into this or how they prepared for it, but... Either way, this is an ugly loss for Kentucky. Um, Ray Davis was great on the ground again. And I'm going to tell you this. If you haven't watched Vanderbilt this year, I know most of you haven't, watch number two run the football. Because when he gets the ball, man, he's like a little ball of hate. And he is a fun back to watch. The, The Vanderbilt defense early on was fantastic. Uh, Anthony Orgy was up in the box making plays. Uh, You had Kane Patterson up in the box making plays. I think he got dinged up because he kind of disappeared after making a few plays in the first few series of the game. But the linebackers were flying around, defensive linemen penetrating, causing all kinds of problems. Will Levis has got guys in his face. The run game is not getting going. They can't get it on the perimeter. Screens game is not working. Uh, I thought things looked a little predictable for the Kentucky offense early because there were a lot of times when the Vanderbilt defense arrived to the spot before the Kentucky ball carrier did. So you saw linebackers and safeties at the spot of a screen before the ball carrier got there or a throw out into the flat or a toss. All of a sudden people coming up and they're at the spot that the ball is intended to get to before the ball carrier. That's a problem. Didn't continue the whole game, but early I saw that. And that Vanderbilt defense had a good beat on what was going on. Then all of a sudden Kentucky gets a little run game going late. You see a little inside zone. Chris Rodriguez hits the seam there. Then you get a gap scheme. He goes north and south, cuts it back, boom, out the gate. And it looks like Kentucky's going to be in control and find a way to win the game. But Vanderbilt comes back, a big throw, a bad penalty on Kentucky late, and the Commodores find a way to get a win. It was, it was just, that's just a massive, massive win for Clark Lee. And to get a conference win, to get it against a team that's respected, that's having some success, it's not a team that's been another bottom dweller, um, I think goes a long way. And they got it on the road, which, as we say, like Kirby Smart told us after the Missouri game, it is hard to win on the road in this league. Excellent performance from Mike Wright and Vanderbilt, and they get to 4-6 and on the season. Vanderbilt's got a better record than Texas A&M, guys. That's weird, but that's where we are. All right, South Carolina was at Florida over the weekend. Um, South Carolina's offensive line did not play well. Uh, Spencer Rattler was pressured. Um, The east-west game that you had last week against Vanderbilt was not going to work the same way against Florida. This defense runs too well, especially when 51 was playing 51-style football. This looked like the old Ventro Miller. He was shooting gaps. He was sideline to sideline. He's flying around making plays. It was fun to watch. What I did like about the South Carolina offensive plan, force-feeding Jaheem Bell the football. 12 carries, but only 30 yards. Couldn't get him going. Once again, the offensive line, not enough up front. And maybe partially because they're not finding ways to stretch the field consistently. Where was Juice Wells? I needed more juice in this game from the South Carolina offense couldn't find it, couldn't get it going. I like to carry on Jordan at quarterback, switch it up a little bit. We saw what can happen in the Duke's Mayo Bowl last year. He's a dynamic runner. I know he's been beat up. That's probably some of the reasons we haven't seen him before, but... Again, no Marshawn Lloyd. you got to try to find a way to work around that and get some different things done. At least there was some creativity in the game plan from Satterfield. But the offensive line let him down. And then I think Spencer Rattler got a little spooked at times. He was getting the ball out too quickly. He was moving around too quickly. And there were some throws that he just flat missed. I can't explain them away. I'm not going to tell you that the route broke off too soon or too late. I think he just flat missed a couple of throws. that could have made a big difference in the game. This Florida plan, though, offensively, is exactly what I've been waiting to see. And it's kind of been morphing to this. It's been really close to this the last few weeks. I'm not saying that Billy and those guys just brought this out all of a sudden. But the presentation, stick with me here, the presentation of the quarterback run is what makes this offense go. And you got it in this game. Multiple ways to present options for the quarterback to keep the football and run flat down the line of scrimmage, to run north and south. The option to give it to different players at different times, that sets up RPOs. That sets up different play actions. That forces you to pay attention to all those things. So now all of a sudden the defensive has to widen out a little bit. The backside stays home a little bit more. The linebackers don't fly down. Everybody's looking and waiting to see what's going to happen. And what do you know? Things open up. Montreal Johnson gets going. He is so much fun to watch. The kid is so smooth. He's he's not a home run hitter. He's not dynamic. He doesn't have big time speed, but he's just a running back, man. Like He's a dude that you would love to have on your team because you know he's going to be reliable, dependable, He's going to run his ass off. He's going to try hard, do the things that you ask him to do. And he just, he was doing work. He got it done. Then ATN pops a couple of big ones. He gives you a little bit more of that home run threat. Anthony Richardson has a couple of carries, but it doesn't have to be a heavy workload by him because you're presenting it in different ways and it's working. And I thought the South Carolina front seven was out of position too often, whether it was too far up the field where the linebackers were taking themselves east and west out of plays because of motion. That was an issue. And it really did make life easy on this Florida offense because they got to be super efficient through the air because then you get to pick and choose your spots of when you want to let it go. And Anthony Richard had a very nice clean game. It's a good win for Florida. Florida gets to six and four on the season. They're bowl eligible. South Carolina already was their bowl eligible. They've got Tennessee and then Clemson. So we'll see if they can find another win before the regular season ends. Auburn's still looking to become bowl eligible. They've got Western Kentucky. And then obviously they play in the iron bowl and them at three and seven. Ain't going to a bowl game. Vandy four and six. Still got a shot. Kentucky's bowl eligible. Ole Miss is an eight-win team. Same record as Alabama now at eight and two. We know what Tennessee is at nine and one. Missouri at four and six. They're going to have to scratch and call to get to a bowl game. State is there, but I will say that I think six wins right now, with Ole Miss still out in front of them, and looking at having to play ETSU, you're going to get to seven. I just think Mississippi state kind of a little bit of a letdown year for me because I thought they were going to be expanded upon what a lot of people thought Georgia, obviously 10 and O undefeated. So there you go. That's what I saw. That's what I did. That's where I was. And that's what the weekend had in store. A massive weekend in the sec next weekend. We go to lettuce weekend. If you haven't heard me reference this before, it is the non-conference weekend before we get to rivalry weekend. Now, we have a few more like Georgia, Mississippi State, and obviously Mizzou, Tennessee. But, um, you know, you look at, I'm sorry, Lettuce Weekend is going to be two weekends coming up. This weekend, we are going to head to, I don't know, we got that one. All right. So, yeah, Lettuce Weekend coming up this weekend. All right. So, we've got, uh, what do we have this weekend? Where are we? I'm trying to find the schedule here. I apologize. I completely lost track. And, all right, so Missouri and Tennessee just played. So, then we go to week 12. Right. Got it. Okay. Lettuce weekend. Austin P Bama. East Tennessee State at Mississippi State. UMass at A&M. Western Kentucky at Auburn. New Mexico State, Mizzou. UAB at LSU. Here's what Lettuce Weekend is for those of you who have never heard it before. Everybody calls it Cupcake Weekend. Cupcake Games. Cupcakes are good. Cupcakes are fun. I want cupcakes. I like cupcakes. I welcome cupcakes, even with extra icing. So why would you take a weekend that's not as great and try to tell me and sell it to me as something that is really good? What does no one ever ask for more of? Lettuce on a sandwich, on a salad, anywhere. Nobody wants more lettuce. So what do we not want more of? These non-con games. Lettuce Weekend this weekend in the SEC. We're going to Fayetteville, Old Miss at Arkansas. Lane trying to get to 10 wins in the regular season for the second time in school history. Last year was the first time. We'll see you there. I'll give you all the details. Also got some action this weekend. I'll be in Kent, Ohio Wednesday night. That's a 5.30 kick, I think, on ESPN two. so check that one out. Thanks for tuning in. This is a Cube Show podcast, a former radio show that is now dead that we turn into a college football podcast that we're going to bring to you every Sunday and review SEC games. Big shout out to Kirk Sampson, Shelly Poe, all the folks at Auburn, Carnell Williams, everybody else that was there. It was an amazing weekend. Everybody who said hello, you're the best. I loved being back home. I loved being in Auburn and just had a great time. We're going to do this again next weekend. I appreciate all of you guys tuning in. Until then, enjoy the ball.